Folks, what does everyone do when shopping online? Well, you jump to the reviews and you see what customers actually think. Well, Bull and Branch did the hard work for you. In a recent customer survey, 96% said Bull and Branch sheets get softer with every single wash. Bull and Branch sheets are made from the finest 100% organic cotton threads on planet Earth. Buttery to the touch, super breathable. Bull and Branch sheets are perfect for both cooler and warmer months. Their luxurious signature hem sheets were made without pesticides, formaldehyde, or other harsh chemicals. They really do get softer with every single wash. Best of all, Bull and Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping, returns on all orders. You're not going to want to return them. We love our Bull and Branch product. In fact, when I'm on the road, I actually travel with their cable knit throw blanket. It is that good. Their product is just awesome. After a long day, nothing feels better than a restful night's sleep in the softest, most luxurious sheets. Sleep better at night with the softest sheets from Bull and Branch. Get 15% off your very first order when you use code Ben at bullandbranch.com. That's Bull and Branch, spelled B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. Promo code Ben. Exclusions apply. See site for details, bullandbranch.com. So, folks, you know about my close personal relationship with Lena Dunham, the former star of Girls, a show that had three viewers, including her immediate family, but somehow stayed on the air for several years. She is the poster girl for leftist idealism. She's starry-eyed over Barack Obama, so starry-eyed that she cut a commercial in 2012 comparing voting for Obama to losing her virginity. I assume there probably was some similarity. Both were ugly events. She's so vile that she sexually abused her younger sister in her book, she described her relationship with her preteen sister thusly, quote, bribing her for her time and affection, three pieces of candy if I could kiss her on the lips for five seconds. This is her sister gang. Whatever she wanted to watch on TV if she would just, quote, unquote, relax on me. Basically, anything a sexual predator might do to woo a small suburban girl I was trying. I shared a bed with my sister Grace until I was 17 years old. Her sticky, muscly little body thrashed beside me every night as I read Anne Sexton, watched reruns of SNL, sometimes even as I slipped my hands into my underwear to figure some stuff out. This is the leftist poster child. She's so gross that she falsely accused a man of rape. She is also, not surprisingly, a giant fan of Planned Parenthood. Dunham has created a shirt to sell on behalf of Planned Parenthood. It looks something like this, a picture of a shirt, and here's Le it says, Lena Dunham loves Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood has an entire page devoted to Lena Dunham, like an actual page on their website, with the organization gushing, quote, there's so much to love about Lena Dunham, it's tough to know where to start. Well, there's plenty of ground to cover, physically. The creator of the hit series, Girls, is a tireless champion for women, we really admire how she uses her platform to advocate for Planned Parenthood. Turns out she thinks we're pretty cool, too. In a recent Vanity Fair interview, Dunham was asked who her real-life heroes are. Her answer, quote, the men and women who work at Planned Parenthood centers across America. Lena Dunham even did a Saturday Night Live sketch plugging the abortion mill. So now she has revealed her Halloween costume, and it looks like this. This is Lena Dunham dressed in a Planned Parenthood white coat. The left no longer even pretends to dislike abortion. They worship at its pagan altar. They do child sacrifice right at the altar of abortion. Leftists refuse entirely to acknowledge the humanity of children up until the point of birth. It's up to women, of course, to decide what sort of life is valuable enough to survive murder. Planned Parenthood facilities, they, they facilitate that mass murder. They kill 300,000 children per year, all in the name of women's health, with it, which is sort of like dehumanizing mental defectives, which was the term they used to use in the name of German health. In other words, both are evil. In 2012, I actually went to the DNC, the Democratic National Convention in Charlotte, and abortion was the single unifying issue for the people who were attending. They cheered wildly every single time abortion was mentioned on stage. Young men actually wore buttons around reading, I love pro-choice women. It was not difficult to imagine why these men would love pro-choice women. 
Lena Dunham is the representative of a new generation of Americans who know better, but just don't care. Nihilism is the new idealism. Dunham doesn't believe unborn children are children. She's not stupid. She just doesn't care. She's willing to sacrifice those children for the greater good of equality between the sexes. Men don't have to be pregnant, so women shouldn't have to be pregnant, even if that means killing a baby. As she walks around her neighborhood on Halloween, presumably not while dressing her sister as a Hell's Angel sex property, she admitted to doing that too, gang. It's worth keeping your children away from her. When it comes to kids, born or unborn, Lena Dunham's territory is not a safe space. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Okay. tend to demonize people who don't care about your feelings. All right, folks, a lot to get to today. We will get to the new budget deal that's coming across the wires in just a second, a two-year budget deal. We'll also talk a little bit about the upcoming presidential debate that is supposed to happen tomorrow night, and we will be live blogging it over at dailywire.com. I want to start today with this story from a place called, what is it, Spring Valley High School in South Carolina. So first of all, point worth noting, they took down the Confederate flag in South Carolina. I don't understand why any incident of violence will ever happen again in South Carolina, but clearly the Confederate flag is still to blame over what we just saw at Spring Valley High School. So over at Spring Valley High School, there is this girl who is a, you'll see the video in just a second, black girl who was um, apparently disruptive in class and talking back to the teacher, and the teacher told her to stop being disruptive. The teacher, by the way, is black, and when the teacher asked this girl to stop being disruptive, she refused. The teacher then asked the, the principal and the school administrator. They, they came in, they said something, the girl still wouldn't behave. So finally they called school security, they called an officer. He's a senior deputy with the Richland County Sheriff's Department. His name is Ben Fields. He's also the defensive line football coach. And, uh, and here is what ensued when he showed up in the classroom. And as you can see, the teacher is standing right there the whole time. I can describe it for folks who are just listening and not watching. Basically, he walks over to this girl. He, he grabs her to get her up. She refuses to get up. He pulls back on her. The desk tips over, at which point he grabs her and basically chucks her three or four feet. And not flying through the air with the greatest of ease, but, but she's you know definitely moving across that floor. Uh, and then he gets behind her and he handcuffs her. The video is really hard to watch. It's really, it's, it's not great. I will say this. I have seen worse stuff than this in every school that I have ever gone to. Seriously. Like, really. I, I saw a teacher throw a chair at somebody once. And, and, the fact is, and, and the fact is that they've now called the DOJ and the FBI over this. Okay, you can say that this is excessive force. I would tend to agree. This looks like excessive force. I will also say that the fact that this is a federal case is due to two facts and two facts only. The girl is black. The officer is white. That's the only reason this is a national story. The only reason. If this security officer had been black, or if the student had been white, you never would have heard about any of this. Instead, it's tre trending on Twitter and Facebook. So it's worth noting, number one, that there is no evidence of racism in this particular case. It's possible for an officer just to be a jackass without him being a racist. In fact, you know, I understand, Adam Carolla is fond of saying this, and it's true, you know, that, that if he were pulled over and he were black, he might assume that it were because the officer was, was a racist, when it just might be that the officer is, is a jerk. And because he's white, he doesn't have to worry about that. Well, it's sort of the same situation here, especially because, as I mentioned, the teacher is black. You can see in the, in the tape, most of the students at this school, at least in this classroom, are apparently black, and nobody's getting up to, to help, nobody's protesting. 
so that that's point number one. There's no evidence that anything racial went on here that's not going to stop the media from turning this into a race-based story because, after all, black girl, white officer, that must mean that this guy is a member of the KKK without any other evidence. It just that, That's what it means because this is the narrative. The narrative is always that if there is a black person and a white cop, the white cop must be doing something wrong, not just doing something wrong, but doing it for racial reasons. The second point, we've now reached the point in our culture where students can basically do whatever they want. And again, none of this is to excuse the excessive force by the officer. Students can basically do whatever they want. What exactly is the administration supposed to do when a student refuses to get up out of a classroom? I don't know how many of these people who are talking in the media have been in a classroom anytime in the recent past. Teenage, teenagers are terrible people. Teenagers are truly awful human beings. And when you have a recalcitrant teenager in the classroom, which if any of you remember back to high school, they're, they're really double, doubly awful, doubly awful human beings. And when they take over the classroom and decide that nothing will remove them except for physical force, it's very difficult to deal with them. All of this could have been forestalled and foreclosed simply by the girl getting out and leaving the classroom after being asked by virtually every member of the administration. But we've now reached the point in American life where if you are recalcitrant toward authority, then that's perfectly okay. I mean, the fact is that when my dad was going to school, if you behaved like this in the classroom, the teacher could use corporal punishment. My dad was actually hit on the hands with rulers when he was a kid, and that was the easy way. I mean, I know people who, went, when they were in Catholic school, they actually had, you know, boards of wood with holes carved into them to make them more aerodynamic. So when they were hit in the butt, it hurt more, right, because they were being hit harder. So this idea that, that you know, this is, if this is the worst America has to offer, in other words, and this is what we're all going to worry about today, it seems a little bit blown out of proportion to me. And I'm, I'm more deeply worried about, in terms of the future of black kids in America, I'm more deeply worried about the impact of, of recalcitrant students on the other kids in the class than I am worried about an officer who manhandled uh, a girl who is being recalcitrant. And should the officer be disciplined? It looks from the tape like excessive force, sure. Is it a federal case? Absolutely not. I just want to get that out of the way because this is what's trending right now. And I think it's important to point out the kind of social issues that the left wants to raise every time something like this ever comes up. And it really is over the top and absurd, even if you think what the officer did was over the top and absurd. I mean, I'm looking at an article right now from a publication called The Root, which is, uh, I believe, a website that, that is catering largely to African-Americans. And, uh, and, and this is what they write. They says, the only thing that matters is that the girl was terrorized by an officer of the state. She was pulled, choked, and thrown on the ground while still sitting at her desk. She was dragged, forcibly placed in handcuffs, and then placed under arrest. As she was assaulted, her classmates sat in eerie, almost petrified silence. Some can be seen with their heads down while her teacher, a black man, watches it all play out without saying a word. In fact, he moves backward and lets the devil have his way. Okay, I I'm just going to say this once. Okay, Saint Selma. Yeah, this is, there are no dogs in the classroom. There are no water hoses. This is a girl who is being recalcitrant in front of a black teacher, requested for help by a black teacher. Again, the officer just had the unlucky fate of being a white guy in this situation because if this officer is black in this situation, you never hear one word about any of this, about any of this. Okay, now, on to more important things. Paul Ryan, apparently, is now, he's about to take over as Speaker of the House. The vote is supposed to happen tomorrow. And he's been unanimously acclaimed the great new leader. Well, today, today, in, in a bit of odd timing, the day before Paul Ryan is supposed to take over the speakership of the House, uh, the, the House has decided under John Boehner that they're going to sign on to a two-year budget deal with President Obama taking the country beyond the next election cycle before possibility of government shutdown. 
Paul Ryan, who's the incoming Speaker of the House, has basically stayed away from controversy. And here is Paul Ryan explaining that, you know, he's really unhappy with the budget process. He doesn't say he's against the budget deal, mind you, but he's unhappy with the budget process. Here is Paul Ryan, the new Speaker of the House, or the upcoming Speaker of the House. I'm reserving judgment on this agreement mm -hmm. because I, quite frankly, haven't seen it yet. I want to see what it looks like on paper. But about the process, I can say this. I think this process stinks. This is not the way to do the people's business. And under new management, we are not going to do the people's business this way. Uh, we are up against a deadline. That's unfortunate. But going forward, we can't do the people's business. As a conference, we should have been meeting months ago to discuss these things to have a unified strategy going forward. Okay, so... Paul Ryan says that he's really, really mad about this particular deal. He doesn't understand the deal. He hasn't read the deal yet, but he's mad about how the process works. This is about as milquetoast a statement as you can make. Right? The fact is that when he says we should have been planning about this months ago, it wouldn't have mattered. Barack Obama wants a government shutdown. The reason Barack Obama wants government shutdowns is because the, the Republicans are idiots. And the way that the Republicans have set up the budget process, they have shown that they are not willing to let the government shut down, and Democrats have shown that they are willing to let the government shut down. In politics, this is what's called a game of chicken. And if you're going to play a game of chicken, you can't betray to the other side that you're willing to jerk the steering wheel. Right? Imagine a game of chicken. You have two people driving down the road at 100 miles an hour at each other. If one guy puts a brick on the accelerator and then, and then sets the steering wheel with the, with the club, right? he goes out and gets the world-famous club and sticks that on the steering wheel, it's pretty clear he's going to win the game of chicken because he no longer has the ability to actually jerk the wheel out of the way. If the person on the other side knows that and has already conveyed that they're willing to jerk the wheel, it's foregone conclusion who's going to win the battle. This is what the Republicans do. Hey, the Republicans have said they're not shutting down the government. It's just too important. It won't matter how Paul Ryan approaches this if he engages in the same exact process. And it's very maddening to me. It's very frustrating to me personally when I see Paul Ryan, who's supposed to be this kind of new kid on the block. He's going to come in. He's going to restore order in the House. And the first thing that he does is sign off. He had to sign off on this, folks. Paul Ryan had to sign off on this deal. John Boehner got permission from Paul Ryan beforehand, I am sure, to sign off on this deal. And then Paul Ryan goes out there and he talks about how he doesn't like the process so much and he looks like he's more conservative than Boehner, but he would have done exactly the same thing as Boehner. In fact, he did do exactly the same thing as Boehner, if you remember, all the way back to 2013 when he and Patty Murray, the senator from Washington, came up with a budget deal. It's, it's very frustrating that Republican leadership has basically replaced itself with the same group of folks, but it, this is a pretty good indicator that Paul Ryan is going to be who, who John Boehner essentially was. Now, meanwhile, meanwhile, Paul Ryan, who's been castigated as an extremist by the left because he wants entitlement reform, and by the way, folks on the right who love Paul Ryan and they love that he's pro-entitlement reform, let me just tell you something. Republicans will never win an election based on entitlement reform. No one wants or cares about entitlement reform. Okay, we may need it, but that's something that you do after you win. Barack Obama did not campaign on Obamacare. He campaigned on why Republicans were going to deny condoms to women or some such nonsense. And then he pushed Obamacare afterward. The Republicans are campaigning on entitlement reform, and then they're losing. So in any case... What's amazing is that Paul Ryan has been castigated as an extremist. Paul Ryan is a, a moderate guy when it comes to his approach. The real extremists are the folks on the left. MSNBC's Melissa Harris-Perry, she was ripping on Paul Ryan last night, and she was saying that it's not. we should stop saying that, that Paul Ryan is such a hard worker. He's not a hard worker. Here's Melissa Harris-Perry, she of the, the tampon earrings. She actually, in one episode of her show several months back, wore tampon earrings, like earrings made of tampons, to talk about how much women were put upon in the society. If they were that put upon, there's not a man alive who wants to see tampon earrings, lady. But here is the, here is the MSNBC's Melissa Harris-Perry 
who proclaims herself a nerd. I'm also a nerd, so if this is what nerddom has come to, then I want out. Melissa Harris-Perry discussing Paul Ryan. Let's be fair. If there's somebody who is a hard worker, when he goes to Washington, is Paul Ryan. Not only works with Republicans, but Democrats. You know as well, very well that I work on the immigration issue, trying to get Republicans to support immigration reform. Paul Ryan is somebody who has supported immigration reform, has worked with somebody like Luis Gutierrez. Luis Gutierrez is very respectful, speaks highly of Paul Ryan. This is somebody who's trying to govern. Alfonso, I feel you, but, but I, just want, I, I just want to pause on one thing, because I, I don't disagree with you that I actually think Mr. Ryan is a great choice for this role. But I want us to be super careful when we use the language hard worker because, I mean, I actually keep um, an image of um, folks working in cotton fields on my office wall because it is a reminder about what hard work looks like. So I feel you that he's a hard worker. I, I do. But in the context of relative privilege, and I just want to point out that when you talk about work-life balance and being a hard worker, the moms who Melissa, don't have health care, who are working I, I, on... The, I, mean, I understand I, the, that. But, but we don't but call we, them hard workers. We call them failures. We call them people who are sucking no, off no, the system. No, no. no, no, really, y'all do. That is really what you guys do. No, Paul Ryan's the extremist. You can't call anyone a hard worker unless they're a slave laboring in a cotton field. Now, this is, this is how bad it's gotten. And this is where American politics has gone. I love when she says that, that the real hard workers in America are the women who are working two jobs and they're a single mom. And no one's saying they're not working hard. The question is, why didn't you get married to the dad? That might make your life a better. It's, it's one of my bugaboos. As, as a married man with a child uh, I, and, and a wife who made the right decision to get married before bearing that child and is now finishing up medical school. It's amazing. Yeah, she's at UCLA Medical School, my wife. And her um, and in her class, there's a there's a girl who took off three or four years between college and medical school, not because she was working in a lab like my wife, but because she got pregnant and she had a baby. And I'm glad she didn't abort the baby. It's it's sad that we've come to the point in America where you have to actually say you're 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 happy. It's a moral thing when you don't kill your own child. But she didn't abort the kid, and she comes back to medical school, and she is perceived as a hero. She's she's a heroine because she she has come back to medical school in spite of the fact that she has given birth to a child out of wedlock. And I remember I was talking with my wife about this once, and I thought to myself, why is it that my wife, who makes good decisions, is privileged, but somebody who makes bad decisions is a hero? We've now reached the point in American culture where being a victim is more important than making good decisions. And even if you've made yourself into a victim through all of your really crappy life decisions, just by dint of you being a victim, you're now a hero. Victimism, victimology and heroism are now one and the same. If you make good decisions, then we can't reward you. I will also note in that particular video that Melissa Harris-Perry says that she's a fan of Paul Ryan as the Speaker of the House. If Melissa Harris-Perry likes something, it's a pretty good indication that you shouldn't. And when it comes to the media, you wonder why Republicans continue to lose. Paul Ryan, who's, again, a very moderate guy when it comes to his approach. He's not a moderate in his politics. He's a conservative in most of his politics. And he has some positions that are not down the line. Conservative tarp, the auto bailouts, immigration. But as an overall worldview, I think that he's certainly more conservative than not. Anything else would be inaccurate. He's an extremist. And, and how do you know he's an extremist? You know he's an extremist because people like Tony Kornheiser over on ESPN... He says that Tea Partiers, like Paul Ryan, they're just like ISIS. Here's Tony Kornheiser, a guy who used to be on Monday Night Football and now is on the increasingly irrelevant, pardon the interruption, on ESPN, explaining his thoughts about the Tea Party. The House, the House needs a dictatorial leader or nothing will ever happen. And, and, and the Tea Party people understandably don't like that if the person in charge is a moderate and doesn't agree with them politically. So... Paul Ryan 
enough conservative chops that he can sort of try to unify the whole party, but he's going to be spending all his time trying to deal with these Tea Party people. What he's probably going to have to do, if in fact he gets in, is stage some kind of fight with them and defeat them or take away their power or go after them. I don't know if he's got the guts what, to do what, it. I don't know if, he know if he has the numbers to do it. Are they like ISIS trying to establish a caliphate here? Yes, yes. Well, they are. Yes, a very good analogy. Without the violence, obviously, but they are. They, they, yes, they are a rejectionist front. It's a perfect they, analogy. They, okay, they we can don't stop it there. Legislate. And uh, and you, if you couldn't hear what he's saying, Tony Kornheiser at one point says that the Tea Party is just like ISIS. They're trying to establish a caliphate inside inside the House Caucus. So the Republicans who have compromised. On every issue with President Obama, given him his budgets, given him his money, funded executive amnesty, funded Planned Parenthood, they're the extremists. Uh, they're the ones who are, who are like ISIS. And you wonder, again, why Hillary Clinton's going to win the election. It's because of people like this. You say that Republicans are ISIS and Democrats are all that is good and holy in the world. Right? Bernie Sanders is saying the same thing. Bernie Sanders is an open socialist. He says that Ben Carson can never be elected president. Why? Why can't Ben Carson, Dr. Ben Carson, ever be elected president? Because Dr. Ben Carson is too extreme. Here's Bernie Sanders, an open socialist who honeymooned in USSR. Right? Bernie Sanders explaining that Ben Carson is too extreme for the American people. We have right now, and, and I, you know, I'm, I'm not happy to say this, we have a, a very right-wing extremist Republican Party. This is not the party of Dwight David Eisenhower. No. But they're right? not all like that. Well, too they're many of them are. And, and too many of them really are <coughs> now. I mean, you just heard Ben Carson's statement. Uh, He's on the fringe, I think. I'm afraid not. I really joy. I wish I could tell you that. I'm scared. You haven't been around Congress too long. I'm scared. All right, these are guys (laughs) who basically believe this is their agenda, more or less. Huge tax breaks for the wealthiest people in this country, cuts to Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, federal aid to education. Virtually all of them are against a woman's right to choose. Mm -hmm. Very few of them support gay rights, the right of gay people to marry. That is their agenda. Okay, so that, that there is Bernie Sanders, an open socialist, blabbing with the ladies of The View, Collective IQ7, uh, about, the, about the future of the country and why Republicans are extremists. I, I do have to admit, every time we watch The View, I'm more and more fascinated by Raven Simone's hair. Uh, she, it, just, it, it changes radically from day to day. It's, it's an ever-changing, magical kaleidoscope uh, of quaff. And, and uh, there, there's just, there's, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by it. I find it much more fascinating than anything said on this idiotic show. Um, but when Bernie Sanders is labeling you extreme, this is what's, what's, honestly, this is what's wrong with the country. When you wonder why the country pulled to the left, the answer is because the left party in America, there are only two parties. The left party in America pulled incredibly far to the left, and the right party in America moved also slightly to the left. And so the right party is seen as wildly extreme to the right, simply because of that incredible imbalance. It is amazing. And, and until Republicans start to say and look at people not only like Bernie Sanders but Hillary Clinton, uh, look at people like Melissa Harris-Perry and say that you are the real extremists, until Republicans are willing to, to point out how extreme the left has become, unless they're willing to actually stand their ground and say, look, when the government shuts down because President Obama wants to get rid of Gitmo so he can bring terrorists to American soil, when the President of the United States is willing to defund the military, which he did this last week, simply because he wants terrorists on American soil as opposed to uh, across a, a, a small piece of a small strip of ocean on, on the Cuban island. If that's how extreme they are, then we're willing to go to bat against that no matter what it takes. Until Republicans are willing to do that, all of the we'll work with you in the world isn't going to help. 
all of the compromise in the world isn't going to help. You can't compromise with people who are this extreme. At a certain point, the game of chicken actually has to be, has to be played. And, and if we continue to pretend that we're the reasonable ones, can't you just see we're the reasonable ones? No. No one can see you're the reasonable ones when it just looks like you're caving in to the other guy, especially because when you always lose, it looks like the other guy is reasonable. People are attracted to victory. People are not attracted to reason. People are attracted to victory. They're not attracted to reason. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about Ben Carson and Donald Trump. We mentioned Ben Carson briefly right there. Ben Carson has apparently now taken the lead in the latest CBS New York Times poll. He's up 26 to 22. Worth noting that this poll does only have 575 people who were actually polled. And it is also worth noting that the, that the margin of error is six points. So he's, he's well within the margin of error. But Carson is starting to pull ahead of Donald Trump, which is actually a, a pretty interesting development. I had sort of predicted it on this show when I said that I thought Carson was picking up steam. And I think that Trump is not as much. Trump the other day actually tweeted out that he thought the Benghazi committee was partisan. And I'm wondering which party's nomination Trump is running for. At a certain point, he's going to get his lunch eaten by an outsider like Ben Carson. And, and so Trump has actually started to attack people like Ben Carson. He's also attacking Marco Rubio. He, he's always attacking Jeb Bush, but Trump was bashing Carson in the last couple of days, saying that Carson is not sufficiently conservative. The truth is that both of them have holes in their record. Here is Donald Trump going after Dr. Ben Carson, the new national poll leader, according to CBS News. You know, you look at different things having to do with Ben, and there's a lot of contradiction and a lot of questions. We'll have to see. One thing I know about a frontrunner, you could analyze 15 different ways from China, and a lot of things will come out. You know, like uh, Ben was, uh, he was pro-abortion not so long ago, as everybody has told me. I don't know it personally, but that's what I've told. I've been told, and all of a sudden he's so hard on abortion, under no circumstances virtually can there be exceptions. And you say, well, how does that happen? Were you a pro? And not long ago, by the way, and then all of a sudden you can't even have exceptions. So that's an unusual stance, and I think people will look at that. And they'll look at lots of other things, including, you know, what happened in hospitals and what he was working on. And a lot of things I hear, I just don't actually get it. Uh, but I give credit, but I don't get it. So there you have it, Donald Trump saying that he doesn't get it. He doesn't get a lot of things. Uh, Donald Trump bashing Ben Carson for political variability is like O.J. Simpson bashing Charles Manson. Uh, it, it just, it, they're two peas in a pod at the very least. And, and Carson is, he does have some problems with consistency, is the truth. He has a, a chief of staff who apparently has been giving money consistently to Democrats for 10 years. Carson, as far as I know, has been pro-life for a very long time. I don't think this is a recent switch for Dr. Carson. I believe he's been pro-life for about 20 years. Donald Trump is the one who has switched on abortion over the last few years. But Carson is beginning to eat his lunch. He's leading heavily among evangelicals in Iowa at this point. He's also leading nationally now. Uh, and among people who describe themselves as conservative or very conservative, he's actually beating Trump by 30 points. So I've said for a long time that the way for somebody to defeat Trump was to co-opt his positions and to appear to be significantly more conservative than Trump. Uh, and, and clearly Ben Carson is doing that. But we do have to give Donald Trump credit uh, Donald Trump has knocked out the, the only real threat from the establishment in the race, and that, of course, is Jeb Bush. Marco Rubio is the up-and-comer, but Jeb Bush is getting angrier and angrier. He's just getting more and more upset. Jeb Bush, yesterday, we played a clip of him talking about how basically he didn't need this crap anymore. You can't walk over Jeb Bush anymore. I'm out of here. He hasn't left the race yet, but every day he gets closer and closer to doing it. 
Here is Jeb Bush talking about Donald Trump. He is just so frustrated by Trump. It's, it's kind of humorous for people like me, who's, it's not my primary goal in life, but my, second, my secondary goal in life is to annoy establishment Republicans. Here is, here is Jeb Bush going after Donald Trump, and you can see he's just mad. He's just peaked. The problem with Trump is he gets his, he gets his uh, uh, policy advice from the shows. He's not serious. I mean, if you're going to run for the presidency of the United States, you should take the time to uh, explore the challenges that are faced. Talk to people that have proven experience uh, in the field. Listen. Have the humility to listen before you have an opinion. And then recognize the power of the presidency as it relates to crafting foreign policy and, and, and do it in a way that is true to our values. And I believe I have those skills. Okay, Jeb Bush talking about humility there. This is, this, is, this is the irony edition of the Ben Shapiro show. So you've got Donald Trump talking about inconsistency and you've got Jeb Bush talking about humility. Uh, if Jeb Bush were a humble guy, Jeb Bush would not be running for president. The only reason that we've ever heard of Jeb Bush is because, of course, his last name is Bush. I do believe that, that Jeb Bush will be out of the race in pretty short order. You want to hear something scary, folks. So I was in a room recently with a bunch of major talk show hosts, and one of these talk show hosts who is very tied in to the Republican establishment was talking about this race. And he was saying that if Donald Trump starts to look like the nominee, if there's a lot of primaries that get divided, if there's no consensus going into the convention about who is going to be the nominee, that one of the candidates from our past will come back from the dead and run, Mitt Romney. Seriously, that the establishment will draft Mitt Romney and there will be a drafted Romney candidacy. And this is what's so amazing about the establishment. There's a poll yesterday saying that the Tea Party is basically dead, that the Tea Party is down to 17% of Americans identifying as Tea Party. The truth is they're not dead. They're just lurking. All, all the Tea Partiers <laughs> stopped going out to the Tea Parties, and they, they went into the Carson campaign, and they went into the Trump campaign, and they went into Ver the Ted Cruz campaign, and now they're kind of lurking around the edges. But the, the establishment wants to declare them dead. And one of the reasons that the establishment has, has really defeated the Tea Party in large measure is every time the Tea Party hands the establishment a victory, the establishment turns around and slaps the Tea Party as hard as it possibly can. Paul Ryan, as, as Speaker of the House, is indeed one aspect of that. Bringing back Mitt Romney after he said last week that Obamacare has brought health care to millions of people and praised his own invention of Romney care, it would just be the ultimate slap in the face to the Tea Party. These divisions are not going away inside the party anytime soon. The truth is that for the establishment, I think it's worth noting that the Tea Party has been loyal enough to show up at the polls for the establishment. The establishment has not been loyal enough to show up at the polls for the Tea Party. When you have a Tea Party candidate like Ed Gillespie in Virginia, the establishment goes completely AWOL. When you have a candidate like Todd Akin, who is a disastrous candidate, for sure, but when Todd Akin gets in trouble, the establishment immediately cuts support because they're afraid of the damage that's going to be done to other Republicans even though it is perfectly obvious that the Democrats are going to slander all the Republicans with the, Ted, the Todd Aiken brush anyway. When, when Richard Murdoch over in Indiana makes a boo-boo on abortion, the left does exactly the same thing, but the right runs away from Richard Murdoch, particularly the establishment folks. I don't trust the establishment to win victories. I don't. And if they're going to bring back Mitt Romney, or if they're going to tell me that Marco Rubio is the only guy who can win, I just don't believe them. I don't believe them. And by the way, I don't see any statistical evidence that suggests Marco Rubio is now the popular pick. He's sort of everybody's secondary pick. I see zero evidence whatsoever that Marco Rubio will, will significantly outperform Mitt Romney in the swing states. I just don't see it. The poll numbers do not reflect this. Marco Rubio is not going to carry a majority of Hispanics. He's not going to carry a large plurality of Hispanics. And he's certainly not going to bring all of the blue-collar white voters out to vote. So 
you know, before you start listening to the Republican establishment, you can hear the frustration from Jeb. This is the frustration of the elite bureaucrat. The frustration of the elite bureaucrat is, why does everyone support everybody else without talking to the experts like me? Well, buddy, it just might be you're not such an expert. And after 100 years of consistent leftward movement in the country, with only the mild pause of Ronald Reagan in between, at a certain point, you have to change your strategy. The experts don't know what they're talking about. Maybe the American people do. And that means that if the grassroots like somebody, maybe we ought to take that a little bit more seriously than just brushing it off as hubris. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 